You are listening to Is There an Echo in Here? A podcast about Echo and the Bunnymen. Once again, you are listening to a podcast that is about Echo and the Bunnymen. Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep. We're doing this. We're doing this. And this is a podcast where I come into my husband's studio and I take it over. I I set up some mics and I say, hey. Let's talk about this band, Echo and the Bunnymen. Let's do it. Hey, why not? And Yeah. Gives us something to do. It does. Gives us a point to focus on. You know, and through that, we, we sort of uncover the secrets of the universe and human history. And I've certainly, Just I don't talk about stuff. it in here, but yeah. I have really have some spinoff interests that have... Uh, I do too. Uh-huh. This band has really... I've, I've gone deep into some of the things we've touched on. I know. Yeah. So, and so what I like to ask at the top of each episode um, is what I was interrupting when I came in here. But tonight, I was kind of interrupting myself. That's right. I was doing stuff too. Yeah. We were working on a song together. That's right. So, tell, tell them about our project. We and have a new project. It's top secret. Um,. How much do we want to tell them? About I mean, we're doing an experiment. We're doing an experiment. Tell them everything. All right. We're going to make a single yep. for our new band. It's called <laughs> the, the Crucial, Crucial Two. Two. And we're going to try and follow the Bill Drummond playbook <laughs> oh, from yeah. the manual. The manual. And we're going to see if we can get a uh, number one. Out of it. Yeah. That's it. That's what we were working on. So we're working on that song. We'll see yep. how it goes. We'll yeah. let you know. We'll keep you posted. I mean, this is an experiment that we are doing for this podcast. Um, so, yeah. So tonight is a really, really exciting night. Where... I'm so excited. I have no idea <laughs> anything about it, actually. Because yeah. I'm not really a part of it. So enjoy... <laughs> The sound of my voice yeah. right now because... And as I've often assured the listeners, Shane's not going anywhere. I am integral. You're integral, exactly. I and am like, immutable. Not every episode is going to be an interview. But, you know, right now, while we're laying a foundation, um, I think it's important to have people who are smart <laughs> and know Unlike things. me. Right. And me. I mean, don't think that I'm uh, smart. <laughs> And uh, it's whatever. Look, we're gonna have a guest now and then. That's, but it's gonna be primarily Shane. I'm a fixture. You're a fixture, yeah. In in my life and in this podcast. So yeah, another brilliant person tonight. Who is it? So 
Shane doesn't even really know. You you just hear this me. a little secret. Yeah, what do you know about this person? Uh, is this a woman that has kids also <laughs> that you talk to on the phone sometimes? Yes, I mean, that is our primary uh, identities as women who have kids also. And yes, she is also a woman with two children. Yeah. But no, but this is the woman that you have enjoyed Special. long conversations on the phone with. Yes, that is correct. Mm-hmm. About music and life and yeah. universe and everything. That's right. And you know, as I've said, she's going to be a regular on the podcast. But before I like really give her a true introduction, I want to get a few little uh, business items out of the way. <laughs> So, okay, is there any news? Um, <laughs> no news is good news. <laughs> Here, let's check their news on old bunnymen.com. Okay, just as I suspected, November 13th, they're going to be playing the Bunnymen, that is, in Southampton. Um, tickets are available. November 15th, which is the anniversary of their first show, they're going to be playing... In Italy, in Parma, okay? December 17th at the Warehouse, December 18th, Queen's Hall in Edinburgh. Are these festivals? December 17th festivals? is in Wakefield. Are they festivals? I don't know. Are they just popping off, doing one-off gigs in these places? Yeah, so again, just like a festival. I mean, I want to go to Italy. Let's go hang out in Wakefield. Sure. You know? So okay. check them out, y'all. They're probably crashing people's couches, you know, just like playing like 40 <laughs> people from, you know, yeah. getting like 600 euros and then some. Then some but they'll know, get free that meal. free meal and that, that free, free espresso. Yeah. Like you won't get that in the U.S. Come to the U.S. They're just like crashing on the couch. Their tours are exactly like my tours the over there. To get like your <laughs> soft drink or whatever at the gas station, you know. All right. Welcome, welcome. Listen. All right. Uh. All right, so those are the dates. That's it. Go see them. The world's coming to an end. Let's do this. <laughs> right. Enjoy. So, yeah, and that's it for news. So, you know, so we're going into this interview. All oh, right. I'm, uh, <laughs> I want to okay. be a part of this episode as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing nothing. Nothing. Do you even know the person's name? Do you know her I name? can't remember. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm busy, man. So tonight, everyone, we have another knowledgeable, informed, articulate guest to talk about this band. Coming on to the show for the first time ever, and it won't be the last. Um, so, Shane... Tell you know, us about this guest. Let me tell you. Now, you know that the reason I do this podcast, and I've stated this in the podcast before, is so that I could meet someone who I could talk about this band with. Because, you know, I have many friends who I share a musical bond with, but yeah. no one likes Echo and the Bunnymen. I do. Specifically, except you. And that was kind of the whole deal. And so no sooner had I started this podcast did I get an email from a person who I just immediately connected with. The second her email hit the inbox, I was like, 
Yes. You are speaking my language. This is this, someone. And, yeah. and this is a person who knew much more than me. Mm-hmm. And like who had embodied this period in history that I'm trying to describe. So we hit it off. It was a... It was just a match made in heaven. It, it was. Up here. It really, it really was. It was um, fate up against your will. <laughs> exactly. I just, you know, it was kind of like, should I just keep, should I even keep the podcast going? Yeah. I found my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. We talked on the phone. I mean, it's just been uh, just pretty incredible. So I am so happy to bring her onto the show. One of the cool things about her is that we didn't really like share bios or credentials really. I think I came across an email recently where she told me what she did for a living. So I'm just going to kind of riff um, on what I know about her. So I just want to say that she is a historian. That is what I think she is. But in this podcast, she is a time traveler. She's going to take us back in time. That is her gift. (laughs) Yeah, she like bends space and time. That's so cool. Yeah, it's real. I don't know how she does it. I don't know if it's like an astral projection thing. But she makes it happen. So that she can go back to this period in time in Liverpool history. And tell us about it. Love it. Yep. That's what she is. She's deeply interested in humans and events of the past. And when she turns her attention to a historical moment, the moment comes to life. So she'll be like talking about a cemetery in Pennsylvania and who's buried there. And suddenly you are transported to the past. And like all these boring dead people are flesh and blood with desires and sorrows of their own and stories. Wow. And she really, she presents these stories with such empathy and understanding and understanding of human psychology um, and the human soul. And it is totally captivating. And she is also, she's a great storyteller and explainer of things. And that is useful because we need some things explained. Yeah, we do. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to have her on because she knows all about the Liverpool scene. Mm. Um, And she's going to take us, I mean, through that history. Like it is a lived experience, you know, because she like, it's like she's lived alongside them in Liverpool when she's talking about them. And, um, and just like overheard their stories. She's just read about it a lot or something? Yeah. You know, and she'll talk about this more, but she was captivated by Paul Simpson, Mm. and that became um, sort of her her lens to the scene. Well, he was in Teardrop Explodes and the Wild Swan, yep, and he's going to kind of come to life for us, I think, um, having her on the podcast as a regular. That's interesting. Yes. Paul Simpson fan in the house. I know. I mean, he's... Well, we'll get into it, but she has really like listened to, you know, she's listened to the bands. She's listened to their stories. You know, she's combed over the liner notes of albums, read all the lyrics. So she is going to take us back in time 
to Liverpool on a regular basis at different periods. We'll go to different house parties. We'll drop her down kind of like, you know, in the, maybe in the apartment that Courtney loves getting kicked out of. Maybe we'll drop her into Eric's one night and she'll be like just scoping out the scene. You know, she's going to be the eyes and ears. She's like our time traveling field reporter. That is exactly what she is. All right. And so it's a new segment. Yep. Episode. I'm, you know, it's our first episode and I am just kind of just want to talk about Courtney Love and like what, what happened with her. I feel like I'm talking to like one of my friends, older siblings trying to get like the real gossip about like what's going on in the high school. And, um, that's wonderful. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited. What's her name? Diane. Her name is Allison Renner. I cannot wait to meet her. Uh, but I also want to tell you about, you know, what she does otherwise. Um, so she collects antique photographs and she also sells them. And you've got to see some of these photographs. They're so haunting. Um, her handle on um, Instagram, O.D. Peacock. How do you know? On Instagram. I think I've seen it. I, yeah. I, I occasionally pop in. <laughs> you're usually getting Courtney on the Instagram, but sometimes you're getting me. And sometimes you read your messages, and then I don't know if they've been read. And yeah, then... <laughs> sometimes I just read and see if we got any likes, because uh, I'm I need like some affirmation or something. But listen, yeah, O D Peacock. Yeah, so and you can order. I just want to say maybe and... you made this connection already, but and I haven't listened to this episode yet because I'm not in it. So what's, what's the point? But I'll check it out. Uh, but uh, she maybe her ability to tell stories in this vivid way is somehow connected also to her photo collecting, you know, like this ability to sort of transport into the past. That's what I believe. And this like photo. Yeah. I see these photographs like coming to life. kind of way. Yes. And like, you know, and she can like walk into the photograph and out and like she can like Gumby. appear in sepia. Gumby be just walking in the books and shit. That's right. Gumby and Pokey. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly and you're um, there. what she's going to be doing. You know, I and I don't know what her process is. If she's astral projecting, you know, perhaps she will speak to that at some point. Or and the she Muppet can, Babies, they'd be going into... I uh, love... But they go in the books? They go in into the their movies, imagination. In their imagination. And sometimes I think they're inspired by books, but... Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you get what I'm saying here. It's no like It's like Muppet about. Babies, y'all. Okay. And so... <laughs> um, Muppet I, Babies so I also wanna say, will make our dreams Listen to this, yeah. though. So her husband does a podcast. Mm. This is important, Spooky. everyone. You have no, <laughs> no idea. You have no idea. It's spooky. Listen, it's called Strange Familiars. It is... Booga booga. <laughs> His making light of it is only to calm... It. Is only to assure himself scared. that it's not real. Yeah. You Yes. Did you listen to the Bunnyman episode? No. Know that there is an episode that is required listening for anyone who listens to this podcast. It is about... She, she talks about um, Bill Drummond and the Bunnyman archetype. And following that is the scariest story that I've ever heard. I'm like now afraid to like walk up the stairs... If the certain lights aren't on, I'm scared of bunnies hmm. and I'm like dreading Easter and stuff. So anyway, check that out. Strange Familiars. You can also follow them on Instagram, whatnot, and uh, subscribe to their podcast. 
All right, and here and here's the last thing I have to say before we start this thing. Um, and that is I have to do that thing where everyone where you tell everybody that you know what's going to be wrong with your recording. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we did indeed. I had some technical problems and I myself was the technical problem. Like I I was not still or quiet I moved around too much um I moved throughout the house I cleaned things I walked onto the porch I opened the door I closed the door my dog is barking I wandered around yelled at my dog like there's a lot of noise in the background and I just I don't know I'm living in like a different century where like that stuff didn't get picked up you know when I was using Skype like 20 years ago or whatever so I'm sorry I'm not gonna re-record it though and secretly I kind of like ambient noises and podcasts yeah, but i won't know, ever put y'all through it come again to life it's just it makes it come to life it'll be like it's you're like just hanging around with me while i frantically like, clean while i like a a beautiful cinema verite sonorous soothing voice yeah you know oh it's gonna be great questions. i can't wait to hear this I, it's, like, it's all gonna be new to me too which is great i know i'm so excited i'm so glad you're gonna just love it i'm so proud of you well it's 1 a.m. and let's. I'm out of gas, man. I've been sick as fuck all week. Oh my god, I didn't realize it was so late. And uh, all right, well here it is, everyone. Enjoy, Allison Renner. All right, well I am so excited excited beyond belief to have my actual pen pal on the phone Allison Renner um you know we we just called each other up I didn't really discuss any introductions you know like like how to be to be kind of an expert on this this realm of the Liverpool scene and in our last episode I kind of like talked about all, all of the you know the crew the liverpool crew what should we call them the little the family <laughs> but not like in the man the family <laughs> they are like family totally yeah, very, the whole yep. thing seems very um incestuous in a way in that everyone very like uh, a little bit to play in the role of everyone else's band in genesis i've never seen anything like it like, like it's just imagine like if your high school experience plays out or you know like your early adolescence plays out for everyone to see so along with every um, comment yeah i think you didn't know at the time people were saying about you yes exactly i know and then you and then it gets unearthed later what do yeah. you really think yeah it's really kind of my personal nightmare <laughs> i know it really is when chris adams starts writing about the different bands and then i realize that these are just just figments of 14 year olders imaginations and they're just like yeah they all seem to i mean they've all grown up together yeah aside from cope i guess well yeah, okay he, he came from a he's actually welsh but I, he's like a, an adopted Liverpoolian. yes i'm so i started into his book today and that was uh i'm starting to get a sense for the guy Finally, it's pretty fair. I mean, he's, he does a, a good job of being self-deprecating and realizing when he was in 
in the wrong in a way that I, you don't necessarily expect from someone with uh, such a presence. As I, yes, I did not realize that. And actually, now that I've started reading the book, because I, as I've said, I, ha- I haven't really been taken with him. Now <laughs> that I'm reading his book, I'm like, OK, like this is you're seeing this for what it is. Like you are not just, you know, a wash in grandiosity and, you know. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't it won't take long till you're, you know, watching um, all the teardrop explodes videos on YouTube over and over again. <laughs> I can I feel that I feel and it. You, now my... And if you look in the background, there are a lot of extras like uh, Paul Simpson's in the background of the um, I think it's the reward video. There are a lot of there. Are, there's a lot of crossover. And Pete DeFridis is. In... Yeah. And video. actually, his um, his very le- he was driving home from Julian's video when he died. Okay, that's what he was alluding to. So I was reading the book, and they were saying that when he was um, when he was found, he had a map that was drawn by hand um, by Julian Cope, and and that's what he was talking about. He he felt like so he was like one of the last people he saw. Oh, presumably, yeah, because the whole, I mean, it's really, it's, it's kind of a, a great swan song in that um, it's this really pretty song, and he's the, the key featured player in it. It's like a, kind of a, a love story, like in that way that every 80s video has to have some sort of little a movie narrative. going with it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Pointlessly, <laughs> which doesn't Absolutely. even exactly have to do with the, the topic. So it's like yeah. interspersed, like... The very 80s Julian with the ovation guitar and uh, <laughs> then on the other hand you, you see this like very beautiful model who's probably never heard of Echo and the Bunnyman or the Teardrop Explodes or Julian Cope and I could be entirely wrong about that but uh it's this love scene between the two of them and then and he's on his motorcycle in a huge portion of the video too it's kind of chilling in that respect that is very chilling I have seen a clip where he's like at the window Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. See, this is all coming together to me, and I'm so glad to be talking to you because I'm pretty new to this scene. And as I was saying to you before we started recording, like I was just like caught in the abyss of the bottomless pit of the Cure and trying to, you know, know everything about their 13 members, and I really <laughs> didn't know anything about the scene. Like when I and when I look at, you know, now that I'm discovering some of the bands, I realize I really didn't know any of them um, very well. I never, I had never heard of the Teardrop Explodes that I know of, which is kind of strange. I feel so. I'm new to the scene, and I am so glad you wrote me many months ago. <laughs> And became my pen pal officially and had such interesting things to say about all of these people. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how you got into this, you know, reading and learning about this music well, scene? I, there was a period of time, I want to say maybe somewhere between 87 and 89, where there's this little break where everybody from Liverpool, I guess, gets a record contract. Like, um, Julian Cope kind of breaks through with an album he doesn't like currently, but at the time it's really popular. Yeah, it's it's not even his first solo album, but it becomes. I, th- I don't know if it's on Sire or um, one of the major labels, more major indie labels, and it was really popular in college radio. Um, Charlene Ann is a really popular song, and that's where I first learned about Julian Cope. And in my room, I'm alone in my room, and maybe. 
at the same time, the Wild Swans are releasing their second album, and there was a song called Young Manhood that became really, really popular, and that's how I found out about the Wild Swans. And uh, even like some some people that end up going on to work with them, like Rolo McGinty from the Wooden Tops. The Wooden Tops are really popular this t- time too in college radio. And that's where I learn all about this at the same time as you know, everyone loves that kind of body man. <laughs> right. So, you, know, yeah. I, you know, I had exposure to that. So like, but I had no idea that all these people knew each other and had been in bands together previously until I started like one of my many midlife crisis obsessions besides old photos, which was, um, I listened to this Wild Swan song that I had heard when I was like 12 or 13. And I was like, I love this song. And I went back in and I just sort of dove into it and learned more about Paul Simpson. I don't believe in an act of war. I don't believe in anymore. And he's really my favorite member of the, the whole Liverpool scene. Yeah. And uh, became sort of obsessed with Paul's writing and his contribution to the whole Liverpool scene. And then from there went, you know, since he was in the Teardrop Explodes, went back that way. And then really became obsessed with Bill Drummond and his real fascinating take on sort of personal magic. And it's just, it became an obsession. <laughs> yeah, that is, I just ordered um, 45 by Bill Drummond today, by the way. Yeah, um, it, it's great. And um, I, I'm turning 45 this year, so I find it, okay. like, I started reading it again. Uh, it, it's a great sort of um, unconscious manual for middle age. <laughs> that's so interesting. I mean, that's what this is for me, too. It's a middle age crisis obsession. Yeah. That is what this is, because I kind of, I mean, I had the greatest hits of Echo and the Bunnymen and one other, but I didn't really, um, you know, I, they were kind of lost to me. And so through them, I'm just kind of learning. I'm just hitting the Liverpool scene. But you have been here a while, and you know all the gossip. <laughs> <laughs> I do know a lot of the gossip, uh, and uh, I and I definitely have people I root for. <laughs> right. And there's stories that um, I, I just yeah I just find the whole thing kind of fascinating because I I'm not a part of it. It's one of those things that I think if you were really a part of, you would probably shy away from. I saw. Um, Jane Casey talking about how the new Eric's and how she got, I think she got kicked off of a radio station for talking about uh, her opinions on the new Eric's. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I've heard about the new Eric's and I've seen pictures too. And of course, pictures of the old one. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like what they do here in America. They really just, they, they tore it down and started anew. Yeah. It's like, it is block. like a cultural appropriation of punk culture, which, which happens. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Well, where do we begin with this with this group like of people? I mean, well, you know, the we're whole, like the whole crucial three thing where you get Mac, uh, Pete yeah. Wiley, and Julian Cope. In my mind, you really should have included Paul Simpson. <laughs> you can right. choose which one you'd like to, to dump out of that. <laughs> Pick a now, thing. and Paul Simpson is over there with Will, right? Yeah, they, they are doing they domestic band. industrial, industrial domestic. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and I think they were childhood friends. I believe they went to school together. Yeah. 
okay, maybe at um, Dane's Days Lane or whatever that school is. We always make fun of because we can't say the name of it. D I know, I'm always pronunciation. I know. We're going to have a whole episode on like how to speak British and Liverpudlin because they have kind of their own language in a sense. They have different words for pants, for example. Oh, is that Kex? Kex, yes. I always heard that word and I was like, what are they talking about? And I kind of put it together and yeah. There's a song almost about sort of the, that Paul Simpson does on his most recent album. And it's about kind of the death of English culture and Liverpool culture generally. Like sleeping gas and do it clean. It's over now. It's over now. Like Libertas on the Mercury, the Royal Iris on the and um, it, it discusses things that are over now, like uh, sleeping gas and do it clean is one of are two of the lines from the from the song. But he also talks about uh, when Billy Fury split his kex. <laughs> oh, so yeah. yeah, I have to always have to get out like a. Oh yeah, there are there are total like there are dictionaries and like YouTube videos about <laughs> it that I've been watching to prepare for an upcoming episode on this. And I have a friend who's a linguist who might come in and do some. Oh, that's really <laughs> fascinating. I, I, love I the, know, right? Especially like accents and and like the the subtleties and accents and even just the way four different people in America might pronounce the same word. It's fascinating to me, like just how little insular cultures change things subtly to in a way that that exposure in, an, in another city might not. Yes. And Julian Cope talks about like when he's younger. Um, I think it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. We were saying that we have kind of a similar voice. And I was saying I had a southern accent um, and Which that I, I tried to I get rid of. Necessarily pick up on if I didn't know where you were from. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> and Julian Cope talks about when he was younger that like everyone would compliment that he spoke well. And I guess... Maybe, I don't know, he spoke the Queens or something. I don't know. He was Well, maybe more because prom. he grew up uh, Welsh, maybe he had that really beautiful sort of lilting um, oh. Welsh kind of way of speaking. And I don't know. I don't really understand Wales. I don't know what it is. So <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> topic. friend that lived in Wales, so that's Wales? where I got to. Uh, yeah, it's one of those places where, where uh, Americans go wait, where is that again? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, it's like, you know, Ireland, St. Patrick's Day. So, but, okay, so we start with the Crucial Three. So, and again, as you said, there was another little um, band of teenagers in their bedroom, and that was Will Sargent, Paul Simpson. And yes, and then there was a little cluster over here with Mac and Julian Cope and Pete. And so... I guess the first drama that I know of that happens in the town is Ian McCullough gets sacked from Crucial Three, <laughs> and Paul Simpson joins after Ian McCulloch leaves. I think is this is right? sort of this is like the genesis of the teardrop explodes because and that's uh, the right. Paul Simpson finds an old comic book which has a um, a panel that says "and the teardrop explodes" and he suggests the name for the band. And he was the one who saw the comic book. Okay, yeah. see, yeah. all right. Yeah, look, a lot of these things that get credited to other members of uh, this Liverpool scene are really Paul Simpson's doing. A lot of style-based things are his doing. Okay, see, this is interesting <laughs> to me because I kind of, 
I feel like I would hear and continue to hear about him the least, and maybe he's not as bombastic. Is that a correct? I mean, not to appropriate um, just because I don't know definitively, but he um, he seems to be shyer in a way than the than the other people. Right. And see, and that was often said about um, the bunny men is that they were kind of shy for people from Liverpool. I've heard too. And he is maybe seem particularly shy to me, though. Like, no, no, I mean, no. But he says he was like the sh- he always talks about how shy he was as a kid. Other people talk about that, too. And it's kind of hard for me to imagine because he is, you know, there's very little self-consciousness that you can really perceive. He's yeah. he really. Yeah. And he I mean, well, there is that, that weird dichotomy. Like, how can you be like sort of like the in your room crying? and then get on stage like like it's only in recent times that i was like you know this whole uh morrissey thing is a fraud like i know like he's not in his room like brooding and writing letters like i was when i was 13 no so many (laughs) things with him lately have seemed kind of fraudulent (laughs) honestly it's been don't meet your heroes it's never a good idea (laughs) oh right i know don't let them talk and don't let them wear pins with fascist parties written on them i tell you so ian mcculloch he's he's sacked and then paul simpson moves to teardrop and or to crucial three that becomes the teardrop explodes and will and mac you know start to form the bunny men <laughs> and then so they're and so at after that i it, there's always the story about cope feeling kind of bad for firing his friend from the band because he was just like too lazy to show up for practices so he yeah, says then, why don't they fight over um which person wrote wrote um oh yeah it pictures on the wall or read it in books i forget and they both do a version of it they I, do pictures on my wall i think Okay, let no. me. I gotta look this up because I listened to it, but I get that the album titles confused on the first <laughs> on the first album for some reason, and partly because I had like a tape that my friend made me, but we didn't write any songs down. That was one yeah. of my earlier like. It's funny because like listening to music with my daughter now who has access to every tiny detail and minutia within five seconds of learning its possible existence it's so different than the way that we learned about music and how many huge gaps there are that i just like oh well i just didn't hear those three albums this kind of thing (laughs) yes like like it just information didn't move that quickly no i mean i couldn't find out anything about yeah, I had the this... Bunnymen when I like when I fell in love with them when I was 11 in 1990. Couldn't find a piece of information. I literally made up a story about <laughs> them that maybe I'll share sometime. Like I came up with that like based on the very scarce information I could find. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I love and I there's a um there's such a sweetness to those ideas when you have to fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah, I know. It's like the way that I see, like I almost impressions that stay with me. You know, like when I think about um, the Wild Swans and Julian Cope of that time period, there's there's a weird part of me that immediately is holding this tiny little radio I used to listen to and listen to college yeah. radio when I was like 12 or 13 and how exciting that time period was and how I would write everything down and make these lists so I could go back and uh, know if I had heard a song or not and check up on different bands that I wanted to know about. And it just, it, 
to me, it was like the part of my real education. I feel like when it began, things that were, would be valuable to me later in a way that school wasn't. <laughs> it's so funny. I have a very some experience and I think I wrote you about it. So, you know, I'm doing this podcast and I'm chugging along and I'm listening to other bands from Liverpool and none of them are really, well, I'm okay. I'm kind of getting into lightning seeds and stuff and, you know, going back over teardrop and I love KLF. Let me tell you. <laughs> I had the uh, single. Do you remember I, the single? Oh, oh yeah. I had, I had the single. I had, I had the single of the uh, doctor and the TARDIS. That was like, it was almost like issued. You had to have the Time Lord's Doctor and the TARDIS. Oh my gosh. I mean, I remember driving around with my cousin listening to that. And it was just, that, it was such a hit. And I only recently found out that was him. Yeah. Like in the last few weeks. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that song too. Yep. It's all coming together, you know? It it's... is. Yeah. And, then, and like, and did you know that Paul Simpson and Ian Brody from the Lightning Seeds were in a band together? Was that Care? Yes, that's Care, which is one I of was my reading. favorites. Like, if you if you want to be in a moment in the 80s. I do, and I <laughs> just do. Just so of the time. I, yeah, because I want to check out everything that uh, Paul Simpson has a hand in, because I, too, was listening to my college radio, and I heard this beautiful music, and I was like, I wonder who this is. And I remember they told me right after, like, the... DJ came on and said who it was right after the song and they were like that was some something the swans and I didn't catch it and so I went and bought a swan CD yeah. and, and I was like huh this doesn't sound like that and only after you know you wrote me did I realize that this was the song I had been searching for and I'm finally finding it now that I'm 41 well, <laughs> and, and the um that song that become sort of like the wild swans hit we're gonna put that in quotes um young man it was on a a, a sire compilation with it had um Bug bunny on the front of it and it said just say yes and it had like a lot of songs like um it had a james song and it had um oh james right. smith's doing work as a four-letter word it was one of the first cds i got before i had a cd player i think it might have even come free if you bought something else and um, so I think a lot of people learned about uh, the Wild Swans that way. He was pretty vehemently uh, against the mainstream. Is that, am I correct? Yeah, and I think that? they like, all have this period where they kind of hit the mainstream and then they sort of disavow those records because I know Julian Cope hates um, that album that's popular. Uh -huh. Is it One Nation Underground or My Nation Underground? I should have all these things at the ready, but... Everybody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> they do. You know, we all have the internet. There's a quote that Paul Simpson has about um, the music business being something to the effect of made of um, crushed up teenagers or something. I don't. I forget I it. But know. it's he's. They're all very um, anti those those very commercial records and the way that they're overproduced. I guess. Now, okay, tell us more. Just tell us about Paul Simpson's journey a little bit more. Let's flesh him out because he's sort of your, he's your, how would you say it? He's your favorite. He is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe it's, um, maybe it's because I, um, you know, identify with the person who just sort of takes a, a backseat. Right. And, and I'm sympathetic to those sort of characters who don't um, push their own ego into the forefront, which I feel like 
at a time, any time that he felt uncomfortable or if he was being disingenuous, he just sort of backed out of it, even if it was to his own uh, detriment financially, otherwise. And I, I have a lot right. of respect for him. Plus, he's a fantastic writer. He, um, he, I'd say he's probably that is really his strong suit. He does like a lot of on the more recent album. He does a lot of these sort of spoken word over um, over music kind of things as opposed to songs proper. And they're just the most, like his tribute to Pete is just amazing. It makes me cry every time I hear it. It's so moving, just like this wonderful tribute to a friend. Spending a shitty dream-filled night in the damp spare room at the back of the house, I awake shivering to weak sunshine and the migraine-inducing sounds of Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich's drum battle. It's kind of like an extended prose poem about Pete. But he, he starts off in that same vain as everyone else he's in the teardrop explodes but then he realizes that julian cope is going to be this amazing presence that's going to take over everything which was prescient <laughs> yes exactly i was about happened. to ask you i was going to say well how did they coexist you know if they, they are they remained um i think paul maintains a, a a friendliness with everyone else that he doesn't get involved necessarily in these huge you know extended uh, over time, kind of decades worth of animosity, kind of thing that right. some other people in the scene have. But they're all they living do. in the in this area together, sharing uh, sharing flats. Julian Cope has a flat that then becomes um, a flat that Pete and Lynn Burns live in. It becomes a place where um, Pete and Paul Simpson live. It becomes a place where Courtney Love lives. Yes, and that's what I want to get to <laughs> at some point because it's, a, it's absurd. You're like, wait, in the middle of uh, all this, a 15 year old Courtney Love comes to stay. That's what exactly. Shane was saying because I had not actually told him about that part, but and I kind of offhandedly mentioned it. He was like, wait a second, why are you talking about Courtney Love? And it just kind of blew his mind. He's like, where? She's everywhere. She just inserted herself. Yeah, she herself. loved the Bunnymen, so she went to Liverpool. It, yep, that's what I told him. Okay, that's right. She loved Ekman the Bunny Man. She's like, I'm going to this to the town where they live. And she became roommates with Pete DeFridis, their drummer. All I know of that whole uh, experience is that he was annoyed with her at some point. Well, it's basically because Julian had had an, an ongoing, uh, I guess, tryst with her that even the song um, When I Dream it has it uses kind of coded language but it's about her oh. and she very quickly becomes annoying as as you would imagine <laughs> yeah, i mean yes I, you know and I, it's and it's also annoying I, i've always wanted to like her you know we have the same name and she yeah. had seen and whole that's a solid album the whole mm -hmm. album and then i yeah could not help but you know i think the the nation is kind of we see that she is uh, a mess. <laughs> just yeah, gonna... and, and I think it's that um, that just over the top personality that I don't generally gravitate towards. That just too much. She's just that, too much. I am exactly with you on the you know the the people who who are in the background in the shadows who are yeah. actually you know really contributing some really um, important components to the group are kind of my favorite. And then the people who make a lot of noise you know are often just that just the people making a lot of noise and julian cope and her i mean i guess i could see that was he with he has a wife 
Dorian? Was that before or after? He had a first wife, and then I believe this is in between the first wife and his wife, Dorian, he's married to now. And he's still married. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and so at some point, I guess she is somehow tangentially related or with her father to the Grateful Dead. Like, I don't know if he's a member or some sort of roadie, but apparently um, Bill Drummond writes that she was getting acid from her father. Oh. And she sort of became like the acid queen of Liverpool. And uh, Interesting. And she was rebelling, perhaps, by not quite being a hippie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and which, being more of which, a... Which is ironic, because I really feel like um, the Liverpool scene is the one place where, uh, post-punk, you're allowed to introduce uh, psychedelia. Totally. Yes. You. Yeah. The and I don't want to are... say that it's because of Courtney Love. Like that would crush me if I made that realization. <laughs> that was all because she introduced acid into Liverpool. But do you know but, anything about the acid parties? <laughs> um, I I don't know. I mean, there was a time when Julian Cope was militantly anti-drug, and then there was a point where he was obviously not. So. Right. Yeah. I uh, I think I believe Bill Drummond said he wasn't partaking in that. Um, it's it's hard to say. I, yeah. I, I don't know, but I guess at some point she becomes very annoying. And they and in the book he refers to her not by name, but by as the adolescent. And uh, he sort of drops the adolescent and her friend off at um at his old flat, which is the flat that Pete and Paul share at that time. Okay. Until they become so annoyed with her that they throw her suitcases down the stairs and kick her out. <laughs> that's the story I heard, yes. And you know, and I and I heard it and like that's pretty harsh, but you know, we can all understand. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean I think it was also the the fact that she was sending acid to Julian Cope's house under his name and the the impending doom that, that might happen with that. <laughs> yes. And then she, I, I don't know if you've watched that documentary that tries to uh, frame her as being the one responsible for Kurt's death, but in it, she, there are people who talk about how she takes, she had taken Julian Cope's clothes and then tried to put them on another, and I forget who it is, another uh, musician to make him like Julian, to try to make him a star. Like she's always oh, had wow. this uh, sort of, uh, can't think of a way to say it without swearing, but star uh <laughs> you can't and you and you can swear on this podcast we're trying to cut it down because you know in case our kids around but like yeah you know it's a it's a band that um drops you know yeah i mean the good thing is when mac talked i'm not entirely sure what he says in any given time so Me? neither no i know and like i you know you do get better at it after <laughs> i think i am faster now but like it is unbelievable and um yeah. I wish I would have taken that in high school instead of French. Three years of Scouse or something. Because <laughs> I can understand everyone else also is this thing I noticed. Like, I understand Will perfectly. I understand yeah. everyone else. <laughs> so I think that there's some kind of, you know. There, there may be a chemical component there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so... Oh gosh, there's so, all so these, many these these wonderful people, like like wonderful creatives, are living together. Like, um, I, I can't oversell how much I love the early Pete Burns work. He's that voice. No one has a voice like Pete Burns. You yeah. know, let's talk about Pete Burns for a minute, because I so I watched you know the video that you sent me, which is kind of a, a family tree 
um, I guess it's a series they did, but they do Liverpool and they cover it. And um, I was also, I was really taken with Pete Burns and yeah. he talked about his early work some in that. And I want, yeah. What is it like? Is it? Um, it's imagine a, a less, uh, a less disco version, more, um, Oh, like a, a less frilly overproduced version mm-hmm. of what everyone knows. <laughs> right. That's not very articulate, but, but the, uh, the nightmares and wax stuff is, is really great. It's like, he really had the potential to go a different route. He went the sort of disco commercialized route. Yeah. While still doing his so. own thing. Um, but he, it could have gone another way. It was sort of a, a darker way, which I think I, I would have enjoyed. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I did not realize that um, Pete Burns was Dead or Alive was that record player song. What's it called? Oh, You Spin Me Round. You Spin Me Round. I had no idea. And I just kind of made that connection last night, too. Um, and, and a lot of these people are sort of like at the forefront of that crossover into 80s pop music, like Frankie Goes to Hollywood, that comes right out of Big in Japan, and and they're having that huge hit that made me embarrassed even as a kid when I would listen to it with my parents. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, how did that... they get on the radio? I mean, and the early video, which yeah. they, they show, I mean, I that was really racy. Um, that was, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably still a little racy. But... Yeah, it still was. They were saying nowadays it would be fine. I was thinking, I don't how you know yeah i don't know if all of the south is ready for uh holly johnson in in leather underwear and leather underwear i mean it was just like just a there was some features to the the cod piece that like (laughs) it was just it was beyond it was really something but they're they're so dynamic and creative i mean i just i love that they're all like you can just connect the dots back to each other you know Holly's in a band with Bill Drummond and Ian Brody, and then that becomes, you know, like, and then they just split off, and Ian Brody and Paul Simpson have a band, and then Paul Simpson has his own band, and Ian Brody has his own band, and do, did you know the trivia about where the Lightning Seeds comes from, the name? No, I did not. Well, my favorite Prince song, Raspberry Beret, comes from yeah. that. Oh. It's a, okay. it's, it's a misheard uh, line from the song. Because I'm going over the song right now, and I'm like, okay, where? Yeah, where, where? Um, there's a line about um, the something drowns out with the lightning seas is what the what the real line lightning is, but they thought seas. that he was saying the lightning seeds. Interesting. Oh, I love that they reference Prince. And that <laughs> song, too, it kind of unfolds as you get, like, I, I'm still hearing lyrics in it to this day, you know? Yeah. Like, as and a kid, it was just like, I couldn't really understand any of it. And then as I got older, I was like, he's having a one night stand, and then, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's supposed to be a song about losing your virginity, but yeah. I think so too. I I, I feel like Prince so. is one of those people that never lost his virginity because he was always cool and experienced. I know there's a deep dorkiness to him. Yeah, that you can feel that's that's really. But you also have he's just so sexual and just wears that like it's such a part of him. It's hard yeah. to imagine like he came into the world just you know looking like he looks now and just he's (laughs) been so unwavering and kind of his his thing now another thing about this group of people you know and you know just their spirit to just take risks and be creative like what I was thinking when I was watching the family tree thing is like everyone is getting signed 
like right and left. And there's also this thing they talk about, you know, in the one, one of the articles I read about Liverpool where everyone is kind of like a swindler selling you something. And I think Mm -hmm. about Bill Drummond, he's so deeply spiritual and, and also he's trying to write a manual about how to make it big. (laughs) They're, they're trying. He's the absurdity of the fact that, that they just sort of followed a formula going from him being in, in big in Japan and, and running zoo to being an A&R rep and just saying that it's all a game. Well, let's just make a, let's just make a pop song. Let's see if we can do it. And then it, yeah. and then it works. It worked incredibly well. Like I'm still kind of, you know, when I saw KLF as a kid, I always thought it was like, I had no idea that the two like white guys <laughs> in the back had anything to do with it. Really. I was like, yeah, oh, that's cool. I, He's because... pretending to play guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so when okay, so we're jumping way back here, but we're gonna take it from the point where like Julian Cope gives like Ian McCulloch, you know, a chance and like allows him, you know, has him open for them, and but that seems they, like they a trade really... off for a long time. They they tour together and they trade opening who's the opener and who's the closer and they they trade equipment on... they're both yeah. on bill drummond's label right they're mm-hmm. both yeah they both Z. go on like the zoo tours and then all these attendant um liverpool friends are along for the ride right who are still around to this day i think yeah yeah i think i think that they do tend to like even julian cope had a show within the last 10 years ago and Paul Simpson writes about him asking him to go on stage and play sleeping gas for the first time in like 30 years or something like that. It's, it's interesting. Like they, um, they can't really let go. It's like, yeah, absolutely. But they do have falling outs. There are many, there's a lot of like drama triangulation. Like, first of all, why did, why did Paul, um, Paul Simpson, leave industrial domestic to begin with we can start i don't know how long that they really did that or if it was like just some experiment they're as far as i know still (laughs) still good friends so i don't think there was any falling out between the two of them i think maybe the teardrops thing um overshadowed it for a while or you know since will was already headed towards bunny man land yeah it was just shane thinks of it as just like one big summer like where everybody was like you know, Red Rover, Red Rover, let, you know, we'll come over. and Yeah, exactly. It does seem like that with the record labels, too. Yeah, the, I know. And I get so confused about labels. That is where my brain kind of shuts down. So Bill Drummond, to this day, does not like Julian Cope. Although I did hear an interview with him, a recent one, where he was like, called him like the, I think the most, uh, like a true artist or something. But yeah, and even why? in his, his book, he but he's very generous to Julian. Um, I, I think Julian okay. got mad when he burned um, a million pounds because some of that was, was his. Was his <laughs> totally? I wondered how many people, how you know, whose money that was. Yeah, and even Bill Drummond talks about like when his kids would would need money, and there would be this sort of like the elephant in the room <laughs> subject about the, like didn't we have a million dollars? See, I think his kids are the, you know, what keeps the regret alive. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually what does it. Uh, it is, absolutely. Okay, so does, how do Julian cope and Mac? I mean, they, Mac still will talk trash about Julian. Yeah, and Julian and writes. it seems so, like, pretty uh, bitter and unforgiving. Yeah. 
They yeah, do I, not like each other. And I think it's all competition. I think it's because uh, Echo and the Bunnymen became this force, and right. the Teardrops sort of had a very similar beginning. And, you know, he had his smash hits cover, too. And then right. um, it all kind of dwindled. And right. he st- just started his own trajectory, which I'd say it's just as created, if not, it's just not as commercially successful. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is, it's, it's actually like, a, like produced beautifully. It's mm-hmm. very intricate. It's more like, Shane was saying, it's a little more proggy. And yeah, yeah, there's different. And, and I had, you know, I've heard both Will and Paul talk about um, what an influence progressive music was in their upbringing. And I think you can hear that. And when it gets to be the 80s, they're, they're not afraid to, um, to have a bit of overproduction and a little bit of too much in in the best way right you know it, it is kind of mysterious to me why echo and the bunnymen made it yeah and yeah teardrop did it's a ridiculous name right it's, it's a, I totally. mean, even the um even the first albums being so they're not even of their time you know like i, I think of ocean rain and i have like I just think of that as being like one of like maybe five or ten perfect albums that just from start to finish you're never going to skip through anything. They work as a whole. Swung from a chandelier, my planet sweet on a But it doesn't sound like anything else at that time period. No, I mean the the way the strings are used. It yeah, is yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's like almost like a Nico album. masterpiece. Absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of launched them. That was the point where Teardrop was kind of fizzling more. Yeah, and Echo Julian kind of starts, reached the height. I think I think his ego probably just overcame any possibility of being in a in a group in that capacity. Right. I think he just has. I think there are people that are maybe don't even do it deliberately but they just have so much of their own vision that they can't work with other people right yeah he does seem like a strong personality (laughs) and to say the least but paul simpson existed with him for a while and then he does he have beef with anybody if he does it's all in his memoir which we which is forthcoming (laughs) okay right which but is, no, like, legendary feuds like the Ian McCulloch, Julian, Drum and Julian thing. I mean, I think Paul definitely has opinions about things because he lets loose little things about how, like, uh, when Julian appears, he makes Top of the Pops for one of the early Teardrop songs. And basically Julian comes around his house the night before and kind of sees what Paul's doing creatively, style-wise, aesthetically and just copies that whole look <laughs> and i i think yes i think paul sees some appropriation of his ideas there are a lot of things i've i've seen that i think paul's ideas were mined and that maybe he didn't get credit for them right <laughs> yes you know sometimes when you can hear like drummond talking about like you know um cope or whatever you can hear some reverence i really don't get any of that <laughs> from Ian, I really just feel like he just can't stand Julian Coe. I mean, he will just yeah. say up and down, just read him for all he's worth. And I um, love that, that Julian had this, <laughs> that he has to put in a little jab. And then there's like all these little jabs. You can tell he's just so jealous. Like, 
I feel cold when it turns to gold for you. That's totally an FU letter to, to in song form. <laughs> So, and then there's Ian Brody, who I'm, I'm pretty interested in him as well. Like, he's kind of like, in Big in Japan, he was like the nerd who yeah, played guitar. <laughs> yeah, the kid brother who really was earnest in trying to make things kind of work and sound good in the midst of the noise. And, like, it continued to do that because he's a producer and he mostly produced things for people. Yeah, I want to say... Um... Did he produce the one chameleon, early Chameleons album? I can't remember. I, I read that part a while back. Because I think yeah. I remember seeing that and going, oh, whoa, he had his hands in that? Well, okay, yeah, that makes I think sense. He did. I mean, it makes sense. I Okay, now, now I kind of want to Google it or something. But I know, but I'm like, look it up. Because like, <laughs> now I want to talk about it, but what if he didn't? Because I'm like, you know. Well, how could because... we both have come up with the same idea? <laughs> yeah, so it has to be right, right? He you actually know. isn't any younger than I just looked up. He, he's sixty as well. He isn't any younger than <laughs> the same age as every, everybody else. I love you know, how he at just, that age, like three years, makes a huge difference. Like, huge I'm, difference, too. He's sometimes, because well, yeah. most of them, I think, turned sixty this year. So, yeah. So he, you know, yeah. I guess he would have been like, yeah, probably the exact same or a year younger than Ian McCulloch, maybe. But he, but maybe because he looked. Hold on. Yeah, he does. Maybe. He still looks like he a kid. Looks, he does. I know the glasses, and he's like <laughs> little. He looks so earnest. You know, they don't. When I've been watching Big in Japan um, footage, they just don't look. They're just not as intimidating as John Lydon or you know. No, the no, I don't <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, really, uh, Jane Casey's the only one that I would worry about seeing in an alley. Totally, totally. <laughs> she just reminds me of that, like. The tough punk rock girl who would just push you for not being punk enough and call you a poser. Like she just look, totally. she'd be the kind of girl I would just be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, she. And I just read about her. She like grew up like in group homes and like ran away at 15. You know, kind of yeah, like really a completely self-made woman. It's, it's actually a, yeah. a lot of respect for for Jane Casey and um, she had her own little business on the side, like selling clothes, vintage clothes. And then she was in all these bands. And then I know she's worked for like arts councils in Liverpool and such. And yeah, she's a, yeah, she's a force. She's a I force. I, and I kind of want to do a breakout episode about her sometime. And yeah, I don't really welcome. know too much about like that whole pink industry thing. I mean, I've heard some of the songs, but I, I feel like, yeah, it's definitely worth a, yeah, yeah probably yeah. a whole separate podcast, Courtney. <laughs> I know. Right. I wouldn't mind, you know, I mean, pink industry is the great name for the female side of Liverpool, like to just to do like all like the, the female aspects of it. I would like that. Cause I'm feeling a bit awash in like, a lot you know, of cisgendered and... men. Although there is a pretty, like there's, uh, I mean, a flamboyant sort of scene. And I, I feel like it's more welcoming to, you know, people who with variant, sexualities than there than you see in like I don't know Bromley or Crawley there's a lot of like you know people throwing bottles at Robert's head and I feel like 
I don't know, there was more of a space to exist and be. Mm-hmm. To be like for Pete Burns to be Pete Burns in the midst of like, you know how like today, you know, it's not unusual for middle-aged moms like us to look a little weird. Right. Totally. Yep. But there's a time when that's really divisive and very subversive. Yeah. To, to walk down the street the way like people thought of it as an affront against morality to look the way that Pete Burns did in the 70s. Like, I don't know how he did it. He just had that caustic wit that just like that ah. sort of Oscar Wilde on amphetamines kind of <laughs> approach yeah. to things where it wasn't going to bother him. He was just going to be himself. Yep. He, he did seem like that had that super grounded um, and just kind of alert thing that you acquire when you've had to deal with a lot of shit. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he has really, I don't think it was easy for him in Liverpool either. And he has a story about the schoolgirls like throwing things at him, you know? And he didn't grow up in, well, he was, I think his was his mother German or he spoke German for the first few oh, years of his life. So he has like interesting. a very interesting backstory too. Like I like when I see kids that are uh, damaged in some yeah. way, by, traumatized by their childhood, be able to make themselves, you know, just become what they want to be in spite of everything. Yeah, I totally agree. I think if, I... if there's any place that, that punk rock succeeds, it's that it's finding a place for those kids. Yes, I think Jane Casey was saying that in an article I was just reading that, you know, it was like lost souls because kind of mm-hmm. everyone in the crew and I, you know, the legacy of trauma, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like anyone who's living in the British Isles has been exposed to some some stuff, especially around that period. And I want to yeah, know more about that. Babies, you know, yes, the post-war baby, the bullying and like. Even reading Julian Cope's, you know, book today, there's just so much, um, you know, he was like made fun of for playing Oliver Twist, you know, these <laughs> 15 year old boys just like pummeling him and harassing him. And just there's just a lot, a lot of violence and a lot of violence, mm-hmm. a lot of violence. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gosh, you know, okay, so I feel like we could talk forever, and I really <laughs> could. And I want to be respectful of, you know, that you might have some things to do and so i I don't think so not when it comes to this should be like a regular thing then (laughs) i would love that courtney i would love to be like okay correspondent from the past like oh my god totally because i'm like there's so much to cover those movies in school where it was um and everything's the same except you are there and they have like the reporter harriet tubman (laughs) as she's taking sleeves across the to freedom yes right and you're just standing there's this like standing you know kind of watching and that's how they segue yeah that's what i want to other be. time everything is the same except for you are there it's listening you're gonna be in that apartment when courtney loves suitcases <laughs> crashing down the staircase i do i can only imagine i, think we I could mean do a whole show just on that apartment because i can talk so much about how um he calls it um has a deeply troubled psychic past who does paul simpson says the apartment itself but oh. they had a deeply troubled psychic past oh interesting okay well i bet we could do some research on that <laughs> and that is like what i'm going to do the rest of my evening that 
is because I was in a haunted house just this weekend. That was unbelievable. Haunted when you arrived or what? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The second I hit the town, I was like, which is, it's a town near where I grew up, where I think I went once, you know, a child, but like it, um, yeah, Monticello, Florida. I don't know if, you know, your husband knows anything about that city through his podcast, but. Oh, y'all have to ask him. I don't know. And is it spelled the same way as the when it's yep. Monticello. <laughs> yes. Yep. But we, what we say, Monticello. <laughs> well, that's like we always talk about in in Maryland, like kind of near us. There's Havre de Grace, which is, I'm guessing, not the French pronunciation. Of that. <laughs> totally. There's a there's Cairo, Georgia, and I uh, had some family living there in Cairo. And spell that. How is that Cairo? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Burn like fire that, in Cairo. Totally. <laughs> totally. I really, and maybe that's how I learned, you know, the correct pronunciation of that particular city, historic city. Um, well, then maybe we, maybe we should close this session. Yeah, maybe um, there's something particular that your listeners wanted to know more about. And we could, we could go from there or we could pick a particular band to talk about or yes because it fills me with a deep sense of relief that you are willing to come back on because I have I have so many questions I mean I have like yeah and I and I love this idea of just kind of inserting you into the past into the early 80s and the and (laughs) pick a year you know like yes uh, I think that would be great to just show an overall spectrum of like Who's making it? Like, who's on the way up at one point? Who's, who's touring? Point? Who's living with who? Yeah. Yes. All the, yeah. Who's just giving up on music. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Because that does happen. <sighs> I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show. Oh, of course. And... It was a pleasure. This is so much fun. Just to I'm... share, like, one of my favorite things. Well, I'm just so glad the conversation can continue. Yeah, we didn't even get to Carl Jung yet, so we got oh, a lot that. to cover. We do, we <laughs> do. So I'll be calling you in in no time. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> nice to meet you officially. <laughs> I know, and hear your voice officially. Yeah. Perhaps going to be difficult for people to ascertain who is who. <laughs> I wonder. I'm going to, I know. And they have that with talk, you talking you too to me. Have you listened to that? Uh-uh. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about that after. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night. You too, Courtney. Have a good one. Start to say, it's going up, up, up. It's going up. Well, that was a real treat. Um, Shane hasn't heard it yet. He's doing the outro. <laughs> I'm doing the outro. Uh, for what did the, you think all, of it? It was very insightful, <laughs> and just I laughed, I cried, I I, uh, I learned, and uh, I wanted you to know that um, you can write us a line at uh, Echo In Here Podcast at Gmail Podcast at Gmail Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. It's the only one we keep up with. And um, uh, <laughs> drop some cashola at my Patreon. Oh yeah, Shane Parrish. Go to Bandcamp. 
or just Venmo, you can subscribe. My Venmo. You can actually <laughs> subscribe now to my Bandcamp for nine dollars a month. You get all the music I make coming out. Yes. Be a sustaining member. I have two. Wow. Eighteen dollars a month. That's a, uh, hey. I need to push it though. Every little bit counts. It's true. All, it's all about. When you're a freelancer, it's all about the little trickles, all the streams, little streams. It's all about the trickle. Anyway, thanks for that great conversation, (laughs) and um, looking forward to hearing it. Okay. (laughs) Bye.